Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Looking at Joshua chapter 13, and now we come into the section of the book of Joshua where uh, Joshua and Eliezer, the high priest, will divide up the land of Canaan among the tribes. This is a very exciting time for the people of Israel because now they, up to this point, they don't know what portion of the land they're going to get. And so they've been through the land, they've seen the different parts of it, and uh, this would really have been like that for them winning the lottery. Which parts of the land do we get to get as a tribe? Where do we get to settle? And so, as we begin in chapter 13, the first seven verses set the stage for us as the Lord speaks with Joshua and tells him uh, to perform this duty. Joshua chapter 13 and verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. This is the land that remains all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites from the Sihor, which is east of Egypt, even as far as the border of Ekron to the north, it is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazite, the Ashdodite, the Ashkelonite, the Gittite, or that's from the city of Gath, the Gatite, the Gittite, the Akronite, and the Aviite to the south, all the land of the Canaanite, and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites and the land of uh, the Gabalite and all of Lebanon toward the east from Baal God below Mount Hermon as far as Lebohamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon as far as Mizpareth Mayim, all the Sidonians, I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel, only allot it to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, apportion this land for an inheritance for the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, wait a second. What's going on in this passage? Suddenly, we're told here that there is, and the Lord is speaking this to Joshua, that there is much of the land that remains to be possessed in verse 1. And we're also told in verse 7 that the land is supposed to be apportioned out to nine and a half of the tribes, not 12 tribes here. So what's going on? Uh, you know, back in chapter 11, at the end of Joshua 11, we were told that Joshua conquered the entire land, that he had driven all the people out from the land. And now here, just two chapters later, the Lord is saying to Joshua, uh, there's still a lot of the land that has yet to be possessed and taken control of. How do we reconcile these two things? Well, I think the statement in Joshua chapter 11 is a generalized statement of all the areas where Joshua and the people of Israel went to war within the land of Canaan proper. They were able to drive out 
and dispossess all of the inhabitants of the land from those major cities that they went to. And so the author uses a general statement there that Joshua conquered the entirety of the land. However, I think it becomes clear when we read subsequent passages, like here in chapter 13, that there were pockets of resistance within the land of Canaan that remained. And even after they took some of the sites, Canaanite peoples quickly repossessed the land that they had been driven from. One of the areas that we do not have record of in the conquest as being taken over by the people of Israel is the area of the Philistine coast. And here in particular, verses 2 through 4, we're given the five cities of the Philistines, Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, as cities where there were people dwelling, and the Lord wanted the people of Israel to take control of that area and drive out uh, the people there. Also, the region of Geshur, uh, which is uh, east of Egypt, so down even further beyond the Philistine coastal region. I don't think this is a contradiction here between uh, what the author presents in Joshua 11, saying that Joshua occupied the entirety of the land. Again, I think this is a, a general statement, and within that general statement, there are areas or pockets of, of resistance that have not yet been possessed, and now it will be up to the individual tribes to go into their territory once it's allotted to them and take control of those areas. Now, as far as the number of the tribes that are going to be given inheritance here, it is listed as nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. If you've been listening to our series, you'll immediately know why that is. He's not giving the land to the 12 tribes here because two and a half of the tribes have already received their inheritance. And that's what the remainder of chapter 13 is about. We read about uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh receiving their inheritance. We are given the boundaries of their territories. Uh, sometimes the boundaries are given using geographical features like a mountain or a river that serve as a border. Other times, particular cities are listed uh, to give us the idea of just how far their territory extended. So the nine and a half tribes that are receiving their inheritance are receiving it within the land of Canaan proper. Those two and a half tribes have already received their inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Now, I'm not going to read all of this section, but I do want to read just a few verses that give us an idea of what the tribal allotment passages are like. And then we're going to take a look back into the book of Genesis and listen to Jacob as he prophesies about each of these tribes and talk a little bit about the specific tribes. So verse 8 of Joshua chapter 13. 
with the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites, received their inheritance, which Moses gave them, beyond the Jordan to the east, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to them. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, so there you have a specific site name, Aror, and also a geographical feature, the edge of the valley of the Arnon. Okay, this is one uh, boundary location. With the city which is in the middle of the valley and all the plain of the Medeba as far as Debon and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon. So every city that had formerly belonged to Sihon of the Amorites is now under the possession of the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Uh, and then we go on to read, uh, as far as the boundary of the sons of Ammon and Gilead and the territory of the Geshurites and the Maakathites and all Mount Hermon and all Bashan, as far as Seleka, all the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtarot and in Edre, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim, for Moses struck them and dispossessed them. And then in verse 13, we have a statement that is going to become characteristic of the next several chapters. What we find in these chapters where the tribal allotments are given are, first of all, the lists of uh, where their territory is, the, whether places or geographical features that set them off. But then at the end, often we are given a short statement about what they were not able to accomplish in trying to take possession of that specific territory. Here in verse 13 of chapter 13, we read, But the sons of Israel did not dispossess the Geshurites or the Makaathites, for Geshur and Maakath live among Israel until this day, only to the tribe of Levi. He did not give an inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he spoke to him. So in verse 13, we are told what portion of the territory they are not able to conquer. And then in verse 14, we find out that one of the tribes, the tribe of Levi, is not given any large physical territory. Although we will see later on, they were given specific cities that they could live in within each of the territories. Why are they not given a territory, an inheritance? The reason is listed here in verse 14, the offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he spoke to them. So then we have in the last part of this chapter, several sections that speak to us about the inheritance for these different uh, people groups. So in verses 15 through 23, we have the inheritance listed for the sons of Reuben according to their families. And again, we're given location names, we're given ge geographical boundaries, uh, all of these things listed. Um, interestingly, in verse 22, we read, the sons of Israel also killed 
Balaam, the son of Beor, the diviner with the sword, among the rest of their slain. Uh, Balaam, you might remember, was the uh, prophet who was sent out to prophesy against the people of Israel. He was uh, tried, uh, Balak uh, tried to buy him off to prophesy against Israel, but the Lord opposed him and would not allow him uh, to prophesy negatively about Israel. And so we have recorded here that even Balaam was slain uh, within this territory, the territory allotted to the sons of Reuben. Now, looking back for a moment at Genesis and chapter 49, I want to read quickly the portion of Jacob's prophecy that was given to his son Reuben. Reuben, remember, was actually the firstborn. A lot of times we think that Judah was the firstborn because he's so prominent uh, within the, the land of Israel and the history of Israel. But actually, Reuben is the firstborn. And if we read Genesis 49, starting in verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, however, now Jacob is saying, even though you uh, were first and you, according to customs, deserve the preeminence, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Now, if you're wondering what this is all about, back in Genesis 35, we have listed uh, one specific verse there that talks about how Reuben uh, went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Jacob found out about it. There's not a lot of other details listed at that time, uh, but we know because of that, Jacob pronounces this curse upon uh, Reuben here. So think about that for a moment. The, the one action of Reuben affects the generations following him. And now by the time of Joshua, the tribe of Reuben does not occupy the kind of prominence or position that they may potentially have had if Reuben had not done this wicked act with his father's concubine. The lesson for us as Christians is that our actions, our sinfulness has consequences even beyond our own lifetimes. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.